And welcome. I'm your host, Darren Kester. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Right after the first music break, we're going to be speaking to Matthew Kelway, who's actually the sitting MP for Beaches East York here in Toronto from the NDP. We're going to be talking to him about the best bill that you've probably never heard of, which is Bill C-619. It's the Climate Change Accountability Act. It is currently... Uh, uh, we're going to get uh, his update on precisely where it is in the process, but it is it is not a former bill that was proposed. It is actually something that is somehow still making its way through the process. We're going to talk to Matthew about that and find out a little bit more about that bill. But first, we have in studio with us uh, as well uh, Kai Rimmer-Watts and Ray Coker, who are part of the Beyond Crisis PCM team. Uh, it is a uh, documentary that is currently in production, uh, also currently uh, still being filmed in some respect as well. Uh, so I've asked uh, both of the, uh, you gentlemen, I believe, have been in here before. If not, uh, for sure, Kai has been in here. Um, but where, what we want to talk about now, of course, we're going to say a little bit more about sort of where the film's at. But... Uh, we were, uh, by we I mean uh, Stefan Hoster and myself, were with you guys when we went down to New York to film the original piece. Why don't we start by uh, you actually just sort of telling us about uh, what, the, what that sort of origin was, but what has been going on since then? So why don't we start with you, Kai? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to start. Um, seems like ages ago, but yeah, that was quite a tremendous journey going back, I guess, uh, six months now to September 21st and uh, there was kind of a whole preparation that uh, happened in advance of that both to bring people from Toronto down to the march uh, and to kind of organize a film team to capture it from as many angles as possible so that's kind of what launched us on this journey we collected uh, really uh, dozens of dozens of hours of footage uh, that we've now started going through, piecing together kind of a broader narrative. And when we came back, we realized, hey, this needs this is a story that absolutely needs to be told. And we want to help kind of contextualize these mobilizations um, in the context of everything else going on right now in Canada. Uh, so that's kind of begun a much longer journey. Um, and yeah, it's it's just it's been incredible to see the kind of the leadership that's grown up around this project on an entirely volunteer basis. We've now launched a crowdfund. We're starting to uh, edit pieces together. We've been uh, interviewing subjects, um, you know, really across disciplines: artists, activists, academics. Um, and yeah, it's it's really exciting to be telling this story. So the the original leg of the journey, of course, as I was saying, we were uh, we were all there, sort of in uh, New York City for the People's Climate March. Talk to me about. Uh, I know you guys have been out. I've seen you out at a number of events, and I've been there. Some of them uh, with you, and the other ones I, I simply know was happening. You've done been doing a lot of filming since then. So talk talk to me about some of the stops you've been making. I know one of the things we uh, where I bumped into was the uh, C fifty one rally that was uh, down here in downtown Toronto. But you guys also went to uh, Montreal or sorry uh, Quebec City to Quebec City uh, a couple of weeks ago. T talk to me about some of these other stops and some of the other conversations you've been having. Well, for us. Uh Having these conversations is important, but we also want to be showing the whole mosaic of activities that are going on. And the most visual and in some ways the most inspiring are those that happen with mass mobilizations where people are taking to the streets, acting in solidarity, supporting each other's individual causes, but also realizing that we're all working towards the same thing. So. The footage that we've been capturing at these events have really been just to show this 
mass uprising that is occurring. And we also take time to step aside with these people and find out where they're coming from and why this matters to them. And we're now going to be embarking on a different leg of our journey, but one that's probably going to yield even more fruitful results, and that's we're going to be traveling across Canada and pretty much making a point to stop everywhere and just try to talk to people. We already have points set up across the map. We're, we've partnered with Bullfrog Power, which, as you know, is uh, the largest uh, green commercial energy organization in Canada. So they've been setting us up with some of their amazing projects. And we're going to be really showing how communities have already stepped up in lieu of uh, government inaction and are really just making this happen for us. So I think part of this, excuse me, uh, part of the story here is sort of the the disparity between, you know, the conversations you have when you go out and you meet citizens and the conversations you have when we see it on TV at sort of the political level. So it's like, it's like a pyramid, of course, it's like absolute silence all the way down to this is something really, you know, it's not any, obviously we don't have complete unanimous uh, Canadians uh, uh, being on side as far as taking uh, urgent action. Um, but, a, you know, a, a sig as significant a number as you generally get on any sort of public issue. Um, and so talk to me about that sort of disparity, because you're both covering sort of the, the federal and national conversation, and then also just going out in the streets and talk to people. Um, what does that look like? And, and, and what do people sort of say when you ask them, and, you know, or, and what should we do about it, or, or, or whatever? What, how do people sort of feel about what the road forward is? Yeah, this really is about kind of breaking the silence, which is, I think, what... Uh, what keeps us going every day and, and, you know, s simply drawing out from people, uh, how they envision kind of an alternative energy future. And of course, a, you know, a low carbon future goes, is complex. It's complex to try to start to envision and tease apart. Um, you know, and particularly, I, I think that that's, what's great about just talking to a range of voices is you, you're, going to get a range of answers, but you, you see that people are starting to probe and starting to ask those important questions, even if it's not their field, even if it's not, you know, what they, you know, even, even if acting on climate change is not really what they do on a daily basis. Um, you know, you, yeah, we're starting to see people just open up and recognize that this needs to be addressed and explore the questions to get there. And I think one of the most, uh, interesting points is people are moving past the debate of whether the science is in and whether or not humans have played a part. I think now where the, uh, the conflict is coming in terms of action on a wide scale is I think a lot of people, the, after watching a lot of some of the news reports and seeing some of the earlier documentaries that really show the dangers of climate change, I kind of feel that people might believe that we might have already gone too far. And since we're pretty much dead in the water, we may as well just do nothing. And I think what our biggest question that we're looking to answer is, is what are all of the possibilities that people can use to get involved because the reality is you don't have to lay down your life or your money to make a difference. Sometimes it could just be getting on a mailing list and sending out uh, letters to members of parliament. You know, that can be something that you do literally with two clicks and reading your email. 
And then we also want to show how people could, if they really do care about this and have the uh, the power to do something a little bit more, we want to show them all the different ways. So basically, we don't want to have anyone having an excuse to do nothing if they do care, because most people do. One of the sort of interesting things, and, and it was touching on what you were just saying there, Ray, was that and a lot of times when we're talking about public policy issues or, or you know, public issues just that being discussed in society, it's, you know, extreme position in, in the left direction. I don't even mean politically, just like you can go all the way one direction or you can go all the way the other and then sort of, you know, most people sort of coagulate in the middle. With something like uh, climate change issues, I, I think you sort of touched on it here. I'll just sort of uh, translate how I heard it, which was that almost it's almost the weird example where that's not the case. What we have is an extreme group of people who are either being sort of willfully ignorant or don't think it's a reality or just frankly just don't care on on one end. And then on the other end, people that are that are so convinced that they're almost convinced to inaction, as you were saying, to the point that, well, it doesn't matter anyway, it's too late. And that the middle is actually the smallest group of people that think it's just concerning enough but not too concerning that maybe we should actually try and stop it. Um, it, it would that would you guys agree with that general sentiment? Is that is that ring true with people you've been speaking to? Kind of. Um, but I, I'm just going to throw out one anecdote. I think Kai can probably speak to this a little bit better than I can. But, uh, you know, I, I have some let's say, fiscally conservative friends and family members who have essentially said that they are interested in green technology, but they don't want the government to be as involved as it seems they might be in certain areas. So I think that a lot of the 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 weird pushes that are happening and the, the, the distractions are happening are, are oftentimes political. And if we can find a way to really just prove outside of the government that this is a financially beneficial thing and that there are great opportunities here, I think it's going to make it a lot harder to uh, skirt the, the subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to give a bit of a, this might be a bit of a crude metaphor, but if for... Uh, <laughs> I'm, we're ready for you, go ahead. Okay. Um, it's the pun that's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was intentional. I, yeah, I didn't, did not even catch that. <laughs> nice call, Ken. Um uh, yeah, but I mean, if if theoretically, you know, there was a massive object hurtling towards Earth and we knew that there was just absolutely nothing we could do about it, then, I mean, the feeling that I would imagine would overcome society would be kind of like, you know, just party until the end. I mean, there's, there, we can't avoid this. It's inevitable. We might as well just ignore it and have a good time. And I think that uh, that's what, at least I've noticed, you know, you have to be very careful about how you communicate the consequences of climate change. Because if it ends up feeling to somebody like it's just this massive, inevitable object uh, that's, that's just going to destroy everything, then, yeah, then the, then the feeling is going to be one of apathy. And, well, what's the point of trying? So... I mean, what we are really trying to draw out is the fact that there are alternative paths that we can go down here um, that are very exciting, that are actually much more exciting than the future currently being presented to us. And we now have an opportunity to shape them. And I think um, in whatever small or large way, depending on the, pa- the you know the power that people feel that they have, when when you are kind of empowered to, as as Ray said, 
make those phone calls, get in touch with people, start to influence things in some way, then you're becoming part of the story that's moving things in a different direction. So, I mean, what's really exciting about, uh, as just the final point, what's really exciting about uh, what we see happening in Canada right now uh, is that we know our country is changing as dramatically as our climate. And what we hope is that, uh, you know, uh, following this federal election and in the months and years to come, we can really start dramatically changing our country for the better. Mm. So, and that's what a lot of these mobilizations represent to us. So. And uh, I would, we can just kind of uh, open it up if, if either of my co-hosts also want to sort of comment on this last thing. But uh, I want to come back to something Ray just said, which was you were sort of referencing, um, you know, some of your more conservative-minded friends. And I think the, the response you gave is a very fair uh, assessment of of some of those people's position. The, the reason why at that hearing that though makes me upset is because it's not true. Uh, is that you know the oil oil is there no government sort of <laughs> government is so embedded in oil like it's it, it, the reflection and I think it's a genuine reflection and if it were true I think it would be a fair position to take, which would be I don't want the government inserting itself into this industry and not in that industry. But the fact is, is that the com relatively compared between the oil industry and the alternative energy, <laughs> they're not at all involved in renewable energy and they're completely involved in the oil industry. So if you really wanted to have like a free market, let capitalism take care of it, great, then get the government out of oil. Mm -hmm. Like we, we won't even, right. we don't even need to have a conversation about renewables. If you, if we agree on this point, great, then you should be with us because we want the government out of oil the same way that you don't want the government involved in renewables. Let's have a level playing field and let the, the market sort it out. But that isn't the status that we have. And so I guess where I'll sort of open it up was, you know, from people in our position who do spend a lot of our time staying up to date and being informed and understanding these things, you know, it, what tactic do you take where it's sort of in your head sometimes you'll think that stuff, but it's like, but if I say that the way that I want to say it right now, I've just burned a bridge. And even if I'm right, I, I now don't have an ally. So how do we sort of convert these feelings into actually bringing people on board rather than, you know, waving our fingers at them. Let's go to Stefan. Uh, I think it actually, I think part of that feeling comes from uh, how the government is involved in the two industries in <laughs> that it's business loves if, if, if what you're going to offer is, is, is tax breaks and sort of opening up spaces to then people to bring business in. Uh, whereas in the renewable energy with sort of things like fit, it's sort of at the consumer end. Uh, so you can very easily hide the way the the government is you know, is giving is giving sponsorship or g helping the oil industry or not hide, but it's not obvious to the taxpayer. And, it, and in reality, what it's what to the taxpayer sees it as, oh, you're going to make driving my car cheaper. <laughs> uh, whereas the exact opposite is true about how the government is involved in renewable energy, uh, which is most which is which is like we're going to offer the government's going to actually pay more money for to, to you know to to act, subsidize renewable energy on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, so the consumers see the government involved in oil as a way that's actually making it cheaper for them, and the way the government is involved in renewable energy uh, is is making it more expensive for them. Uh, and it, partially that's because the government is 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 paying. Uh, it, the government's we see understand the government is paying the bills directly in one side but not on the other side uh, so wait, to answer your question how you get involved I think I think I think the fact that this sort of looking at fossil fuel subsidies as a thing we need to t talk about I think is a is a good start uh, I think t framing it as fossil fuel subsidies is is already uh, you're already ahead of the game uh, at least on that front yeah I mean we've been getting a whole bunch of uh, we'll uh, maybe go for uh, Kevin I don't know if you have a quick comment about this but uh, just before we uh, go back to that the 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 thing for me too is that I mean, we've been watching the headlines recently and like uh, things like uh, solar under certain conditions and wind under certain conditions once you take away the the money that taxpayers fund 
ahead of the time. So we're all paying collectively ahead of time part of the price and then we, so that the price we come on a pay-for-use thing is lower. Once we take away those fossil fuel subsidies, renewable energy in Canada is already cheaper. And that's the big line. And so that's sort of what, you know, people say, well, you know, I understand that climate change is important, but, you know, what do you want me to do? I'm poor. No, no, no. It's already cheaper. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and it's it, that's sort of what gets me sort of so, you know, in my head frustrated. And I realize that's not at all a constructive way to actually go out and advocate for this stuff. But most of the reasons why people uh, don't want to do this is not because we have an ideological difference. It's because they're just poorly informed. Uh, and and it gets frustrating. Well, the, the oil and gas industry has sunk cost. We've already invested in infrastructure, yeah, and so it's it, we've already spent that money. That money is spent. Whereas you're again, you're looking at for the, the, that's the problem, right? You've already it's it's a gambling thing. If you've you're, you're we're already in halfway, and that everyone's sort of seeing all the money you already put in there, and is like, but I already put all that money in. I don't want to just walk <laughs> away from the table. <laughs> it is tempting. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a, th- a thought on that? You want to chime in, Kevin? Oh, sure. Just to go back to Ray's uh, initial comment, I don't think any major uh, sector of the economy in Canada has 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 uh, gotten off the ground without government support. Uh, and it's been the withdrawal of government from some of these sectors in the forms of deregulation and liberalized trade that's that's uh, dismantling these sectors. So to to suppose that, uh, you know, we shouldn't apply the same strategy towards launching a new energy technology is ridiculous and it flies in the face of history. Um, and, uh, you know, just relative to this conversation, I think it's just astonishing to have this conversation and remind ourselves that uh, our government isn't invested at all in explaining climate change to people, uh, the, presenting the facts as they are, and, and in fact is highly investigated. Uh, invest, <laughs> investigated? <laughs> we should investigate them. Is highly invested in, in silencing this conversation. Uh, credible reporting on climate change almost fell off the radar once uh, Stephen Harper started muscling scientists. And uh, I just, I just think it's, it's, it's worth keeping that in mind that in an era of great confusion where people are confused, and you realize, you know, there has, has there ever been a PSA from the government, a little, you know, a helpful thirty-second or one-minute spot saying these are the facts of climate change? No, of course not. Uh, and and right. and of course they won't. And in fact, they're spreading misinformation and disinformation instead. Yeah. Uh, so maybe let's come back a little bit. Let's uh, sort of we'll, we'll close back out more on the on the film itself. So talk to me about some of the um, specific uh, fun visits you said you mentioned being able to get access to some sites. What are some of the things? What are some of the key features right now that you're excited about to show people once this uh, project has been able to uh, be completed after you finish your your crowdfund? Sure. So a specific example, uh, very quickly that comes to mind for me uh, is the trip that we just took to Quebec City, uh, and I guess I would say that. You know, every we're trying with this film to have kind of a, to take a particular piece in showing mainstream engagement, right? And so that really does come to, back to the break the silence uh, issue that uh, that Kevin and I think everyone has been referring to. So just the sense of so many people engaging. Uh, that was tremendous. I mean, if you visit an event like this, I mean, that was the largest climate-themed march in Canadian history, at least. Uh, over 25,000 people. Uh, it was fantastic. The kind of the theme was red, so everyone had uh, had red iconography and, right, uh, I guess I should say materials. And there were uh, photos taken from. From from above, they kind of created this beautiful image of a of a thermometer, kind of a, like a, gro- a, a a growing temperature gauge, um, and that came right in advance of uh, of the meeting of of our premiers, of course. 
so that was a tremendous experience, and we talked to a lot of uh, a lot of folks throughout that. Um, yeah, we've we've been on some really amazing journeys, but uh, you know the film isn't over. And for me, I think that the most the most exciting uh, scenes are are yet to be shot. And the reason why I feel so confident about this is because I have spoken with so many people over the course of the last three years where I've been making these these types of films. And it's one of the most beautiful moments is seeing people who are uh, conflicted and teasing these these thoughts through their head and for sometimes the first time. And then you just kind of see that little glint in their eye where all of a sudden they feel you can see them. They've locked in. They've become engaged. And that once you've left the room with them, that's something that's lingering. You know, I've gotten emails from people that I've just met kind of on the street or on the subway and spoken with them, you know, to say, hey, let's keep this conversation going. And, you know, they're, now they're sending me, like, articles and things like that. And I think that's going to really uh, give people a space to empathize with this film when we are getting into the living rooms, getting onto the streets with people, and seeing people that everyone can relate to teasing through these thoughts, not necessarily coming up with the answers on the spot, but just showing that engagement so everyone realizes that it's all right to think about these things and to talk about these things. Awesome. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, gentlemen. But uh, Kai, as it so happens, your band Gen Y has also supplied our music for today's episode. So uh, would you please introduce the first song you sent me? Yes, I believe this would be Money, Money, Money. All right, so we're going to listen to that. We're going to be right back in about two minutes with Matthew Kelway, the sitting member of parliament uh, for the Beaches East York here in Toronto. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Green Majority. I don't see what you're looking at. Seems to me color was painted black. What you mean by opportunity? Is it just money, money, money? Down on our luck, can't stop the rock
You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Before the break, we just heard from uh, the Beyond Crisis PCM film team. There will be links and information about where you can uh, check out some uh, trailers from the uh, film as it comes out. Also take a look at their crowdfund if you're interested in supporting that film as well on the post at greenmajority.ca after the show. However, now we are sitting in studio. Thank you very much for coming down. Matthew Kelway, the sitting MP for Beaches East York here in Toronto for the NDP. Thank you so much for taking some time to come and join oh, us. Ple- pleasure to be here. Are those the guys who did the uh, the climate change march? Uh, the, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. that's currently on progress. Uh, Stefan and I were actually down there uh, with them taking care of some of the film, uh, but, uh, yeah, that was oh, kind of... Yeah, I was down kind, at the march, too. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Did you, take, uh, did you take the buses? No, I didn't take uh, the buses. It was more of a last-minute thing for me, unfortunately. Uh, fair enough. I was just going to ask one to take credit. <laughs> oh, okay. Stefan organized the buses. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was amazing actually. People came from uh, all the way from like the Midwest of the states by bus. Uh, oh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was huge. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're uh, we've gotten you uh, down here today to talk about Bill C six one nine, which I've been describing uh, leading up to the show and in some of the tweets and at the top of the hour there uh, as the best bill you've never heard of. No, uh, I'd like right. to start by asking you yeah. if that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I I think so. It's gotten uh, your your point's well taken. It's gotten very little attention uh, from the media, uh, and I think uh, it's fair to say from environmental NGOs as well uh, to this point. Um, but it's been around for a while. Um, it, the same the bill's different in content. Uh, it's been updated um, for the, for uh, me to present it as a private member's bill, but it's been around since 2007. Uh, this is the third parliament that this bill is uh, going through. It was originally Jack Layton's uh, Climate Change Accountability Act. And so one of the uh, one of the other things that sort of jumped out at me right at the beginning here, it's right at the top of the summary on your website, was a number that I haven't seen forever, and it just gave me nostalgia, which was comparing things to the 1990 baseline. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, talk to me about some of the uh, some of the sort of thought that was going into this. Was this uh, sort of who, who developed this, and was this purely yeah. based on the IPCC reports, or, or sort of what came together to put this bill together? Well, so so the genealogy is Jack's uh, bill from two thousand and seven, uh, and it um, was defeated in a sense by way of prorogation at one time, and then it has this interesting distinction in two thousand and ten of actually passing through the House of Commons. And it went uh, to the Senate. So in, in the context of um, a minority parliament that got the support of the House, 
and uh, the Senate actually defeated it. And I think it may be the only bill that's gone through the House that the Senate actually outright voted down. Uh, so, so it carries that interesting distinction. It carries the interesting distinction of being the only piece of legislation that calls for mandatory greenhouse gas emission reductions uh, as well. The, the 90, 1990 baseline, uh, yeah, it's largely based on the IPC stuff. Um, you know, I think the science has reached a consensus at this point. We, we are with this bill beyond uh, science now, and, and I think it's up to us, both as citizens and politicians, to ensure that uh, we actually do something on the basis of that science. So that's, that's where the number comes from. The science tells us that, um, that if we don't get to that level uh, by 2050, then we're likely passing the two-degree uh, warming um, threshold. And that then uh, becomes the great unknown, what happens beyond that. Our ability to kind of manage this change uh, is, I think, uh, lost to us, uh, the scientists uh, are telling us. And so so the 19, the 80 percent below 1990 levels becomes a very significant uh, threshold, and that's the one that uh, we're targeting in the bill. So you just mentioned uh, doing something. Tell me exactly yeah. what, what does the bill do? So it, let's yeah. say it passed, what would happen? Yeah. So if it passes, uh, what it does is it sets mandatory uh, greenhouse gas reduction targets. And there's a first mandatory target in 2025, and that's 34 percent below 1990 levels. And then uh, the second mandatory target is the 2050 target. Along the way, what it requires the government, whoever the government is, federal government of Canada, to set uh, five-year interim targets uh, so that you're going to hit uh, those mandatory targets. And it requires uh, the most important part about it, I think, as per the title, is the accountability piece. And so annually, it requires uh, that the Minister of uh, the Environment come before the House and uh, tell Canadians how they're doing against those targets that have been set and what they're doing to reach those targets. And then as a second kind of accountability measure, um, uh, the, the Commissioner for Environment and Sustainable Development also is required then on a, uh, every two years uh, to, to provide to Parliament a report on how the government's doing against those targets that it set. So that's the accountability piece. Now, what it actually does beyond that to contain, uh, reduce the, the greenhouse gas emissions uh, gets a little more complicated. And this is why the bill was updated from Jack's original language, uh, because the federal government has fallen woefully behind uh, provincial um, uh, advances on greenhouse gas reductions. I mean, provinces can and need to do more, um, but the provinces across the country have taken different measures. And so what the bill imagines or allows uh, the government of Canada to do is establish a uh, cap-and-trade system, um, but it also provides for different regulatory measures uh, and uh, allows for a carbon tax as well to be imposed. So, so all means of efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions are, are anticipated uh, under this bill. But the, the critical component is federal leadership, mm. and it's about the federal government uh, sitting down with uh, provinces, provincial ministers of environment, and saying collectively, what, what are we going to do here? How do we make sense of a national 
uh, cap-and-trade system and a national effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So speaking of the uh, the federal government and the Ministry of the Environment there, uh, we just had the federal government table their uh, most recent budget, and the in- Ministry for the Environment uh, mm. say, came out and said this is the most environmental uh, budget ever. So yeah. really this this bill doesn't seem like it. there's any point. We already yeah. have – we already have great stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, the Minister Glukak, <laughs> you know, the the words climate change don't even appear in the 525 pages, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's still fundamentally a government in denial about uh, about what's happening uh, to our climate, and uh, so so how she she calls this uh, the the most environmentally friendly budget in Canadian history, I don't know, but they they pat themselves on the back daily for their achievements. They just submitted numbers as required into uh, uh, the United Nations, um, our national inventory, and of course we're heading in the wrong direction. The numbers show that greenhouse gas emissions have have increased um, over the last the last year that they they put them in. And uh, this government's commitment to meet the Copenhagen targets are going to be missed. I don't know that there's anybody who believes that they're going to meet their their own commitment to greenhouse gas uh, reductions. They still have not uh, uh, regulated the oil and gas sector, uh, which is critical, of course, to, to, um, to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So, yeah. It, this is not this is not the budget to get us uh, to to uh, the eighty percent below nineteen ninety levels. Um, I, I I watch power and politics a lot, and yeah. and Colin Carey, of course, is the apologist for uh, Leona Gluka. Yeah. And uh, and uh, on last night's episode, he was touting uh, a one billion dollar per year commitment to uh, tr- uh, transit in Canada as yeah. as essentially the climate initiative in this budget. <laughs> And I, I want to ask your comment on that, Matthew. But uh, also, um, I'd like to point out two things. A billion dollars per year, even if that was devoted entirely to Toronto, <laughs> would, yeah. would just be, you know, chicken feed. And, uh, you know, let's how can we how can we say that with a straight face while we're giving it about roughly one billion dollars a year in subsidies to fossil fuel direct subsidies to yeah. fossil fuels at the same hand at the same time yeah well we, our calculation is we got 1.3 billion uh in in the form of subsidies going to to the uh, oil and gas industry i mean we are subsidizing our own uh devastation here you know which is perverse really and so that that has to come to an end um, on the public transit piece, you know, there's an interesting report released um, called Sustainable Canada Dialogues by 60 uh, academics across the country from all walks of life, all uh, different fields of study, and they've put forward uh, uh, an interesting and very compelling recipe and, and one of the, for, for meet, meeting that um, 1990 uh, target, the 80% below. And, and one of the things they talk about in the report as a key is what they call a, a transportation revolution is what's required. And, of course, you know, you look at that budget and there's no money uh, this year for public transit coming from the new, – no new money, I should say. There's still gas tax flowing, but there's no new money uh, this year. There's no new money next year. Uh, the year after that, there's $250 million to be shared by cities across the country. <laughs> it looks like Toronto's, metro yeah, Toronto, <laughs> Toronto's share of that looks like it would be about $20 million. I mean, that, that doesn't even get a boring machine into the ground, right? Uh, and the year after that, it's, it's $750 and then a billion. 
but at that point in time, we're into a new election cycle in any case. So it's it's the gentlest of inclines up to to what I think are quite modest amounts of money for, for supporting a, what is required, a transportation revolution in this country. The other thing to note about that money is it's all tangled up in P3 uh, bureaucracy. So uh, they are extending what they've done to infrastructure to cities, which is a mandatory P3 screen on public transit, which delays money getting out, delays uh, shovels getting put into the ground for transit, and, and uh, it's enorm- an enormous opportunity missed. And I should say, before uh, a penny, a new penny of federal funding for public transit gets out the door, uh, there will have been three years of income-splitting money going back to uh, the wealthier uh, few Canadians who are eligible for that. That's that's billions of dollars, right? That's somewhere between seven and nine billion dollars. Um, forsaken uh, federal revenue going back out to wealthier Canadians while zero dollars goes into public transit in this country. Yeah, if I can play pile on there for a second. Sure. Um, the, the, the image for me to summarize the whole budget was the very image of uh, Joe Oliver, <clears throat> who is a wealthy man uh, who enjoys a handsome salary on the public loony. Uh, he might go on to enjoy a handsome pension on the public loony. Uh, treating himself to a new pair of shoes uh, while uh, just in, in advance of delivering a budget guaranteed to increase wealth inequality in this country and also uh, to delivering a budget where climate change was mentioned zero times and, and oil was mentioned over a hundred times. Uh, and that, that image to me, also the fact that the shoes, I mean, it's tradition, but it's still pointless, ridiculous consumption, unnecessary consumption. To me, that image just summed the whole thing up. But I'd really like, I, I want to comment on something that might have gone under the radar here is that Matthew's, uh, Matthew Kelly's uh, private members bill acknowledges a limit to how much pollution we can pump into the atmosphere carbon pollution uh, it you're acknowledging a hard cap on on how much carbon pollution we can tolerate and this is not about making sort of happy sounding notions about progress year after year a little bit of reductions is all progress is good all progress is good it just might not be sufficient progress uh, and the science is certainly in pa- well past the point where we can be making rational public policy decisions on this science uh, but uh, I'm just wondering, from my point of view, I mean, Darren's the journalist, I'm the activist. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I, part of what I want to accomplish here today is raise awareness about this, but point out that uh, you've got a petition on your uh, website yep. to, to um, pressure, uh, for people to pressure their MPs to, to, or, or to advocate or support this bill. Uh, and, you know, you're, you've, you told me just before this, uh, just outside the studio that, uh, you're, you've uh, you've had one hour of debate in preparation for second reading. Yeah. Can can signing this petition get you that second hour of debate <laughs> and help move this and help force a vote on uh, at second reading before the election? Well, I, no, the petitions won't do that. That's that's all House procedure. But what the petitions will do is, is allow me to stand up more frequently on the issue uh, because every time I get or or any uh, MP. Uh, gets 25 signatures on a petition, they can stand in the House and tell the government that the citizens of this country want to see action on uh, climate change. And and that's the great benefit, and it keeps that in their face, builds political momentum around this. I mean, the critical issue here at this stage in time, five months out from an election, is, is really about uh, winning the next election and ensuring that we have a government uh, next time that is prepared to act and act quickly on uh, climate change. 
So I have uh, one sort of final question that I've been been saving for the end. I'd like to give you as much of an opportunity or as little of an opportunity as you would like to answer this question. Because it's I'm warning you now, it's a difficult question. All right. <clears throat> Which is that, um, you know, in, in the circles and going out and speaking to a lot of other uh, organizations and activists and stuff, you you hear a lot of stories of people going and meeting with their members of government, whether it be an MP or an MPP or, or what have you, um, and saying, you know, uh, various translations of something to the effect of what they were told was, look, I'd love to help you, but show me where I'm going to lose votes or gain votes by not or do, by not doing or doing what you're asking me. Right. And if it's not to my advantage, how do you expect me to help you? I'd love to help you, but I can't. And and I'm not going to ask you to comment on that. What I am going to ask you to comment on was the reality was, as we were just speaking about just before on this uh, on the program with, with our previous interview here, was that there's a lot of stuff where it's just it's not a, it's not a difference of opinion. Hmm. It's it's people who know what the reality is and people who don't. And one of the things, like, for instance, we were saying was, you know, well, you know, I'd love all this renewable energy sounds really great, um, but I'm worried about my job. Well, it turns out renewable energy jobs are significantly better for the economy. Well, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that, you know, or, you know, uh, I, I don't want government involved in the economy. Well, guess what? They're super plugged into the oil economy and, and they're using that to stifle renewable energy. Where... Where at what point do we hit where politicians have the in general? And I'm not trying to put this on you or the NDP at all. Just in general, in this Canadian politi- political culture, get the courage to be activists themselves and say, "Look, the Harper government is trying to tell you that this thing uh, isn't a problem. It is. Here's how much voting for them is going to cost you." And just go out swinging with a baseball bat rather than sort of playing defense and saying, no, 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 we can balance the budget too. We just – we're going to try and sneak in some climate change stuff. Mm-hmm. Is it too much for me to expect that at some point we're going to get some of the opposition parties coming out swinging on this issue as opposed to trying to sugarcoat it in a way that, that is going to be have mass appeal? Yeah. Well, it's a complicated question because sometimes uh, we, we swing in, in silence, right? I mean, you know, to your point that this is the, the best bill that you've never heard of, right? Well, somebody's got to ask me to come on to their radio show, and, and some journalist has to write about it. Um, and I can, do, I can do what I can do. And, and uh, you know, most certainly if Canadians haven't heard of this bill, then I bear some of, the, some of the onus on that. But it's not for lack of desire to have Canadians know that it's, that it's out there and that we are actually swinging uh, for 80 percent below 1990. I mean, that's what we've got to do. Um, and, I, you know, the, the distinction between activists and politicians, I, I don't know. It's, that's a complicated subject, too. But uh, we're in there. We got a bill calling for this to be mandatory. And, um, and I think there's good news in all of this, frankly. You know, so it's not about costing Canadians. I mean, the costs of doing nothing are huge. That's, that's a point that's been made over and over again, whether it's extreme uh, climate event uh, issues that we're talking about. But the opportunities of actually acting on this are huge as well. You know, their estimates have been that there's uh, $44 trillion worth of clean energy investment that's going to have to be made to meet that, that level. Those are jobs. That's investment. Um, you know, we have 1% here in Canada of the global $1 trillion uh, industry in clean energy right now. Well, there's great things for, for Canadians to start moving and investing in clean energy. If I can make one last point about our cities, this is the good news. As the urban affairs critic and infrastructure critic and deputy transport critic for our party, 
by uh, dealing with uh, this issue of climate change, what we can actually do is build the kinds of cities that, that Canadians want to live in, right? They're walkable cities. They're cities with affordable, a- rapid, accessible public transit. They're cities with great planning, with the kind of density required to make sustainable neighborhoods. Uh, they're greener cities, and so on and so forth. So, so there are huge benefits from accepting this challenge and and meeting it head on, um, and that's what we're going to do. And there's good news in all of this. In fact, all right. Well, as a as a way to wrap up again, thank you so much for taking the time to to actually not only be on the show, Matthew Kelly, <laughs> uh, but to actually come down in the studio. It's so nice to actually meet people. So I have a, one final thing for you, yeah. which is uh, to remind uh, our listeners that the show itself here is entirely nonpartisan. If there was a conservative politician or any politician from any party that was putting forward actual real serious proposals on this important issue, we would be talking to them. But they aren't, and that's why we're talking to you today. Matthew from the NDP. So please, if there's one appeal, uh, if you'd like to give an an appeal to our audience, uh, sign the petition. What else can people do to help you get at least this looked at? Sign the petition and go go out and and support a politician that is going to do something about climate change. That's what I would say. Uh, institutional politics are critically important to save this planet. Find a politician who's prepared to support this bill. Go knock on doors for them. Get them elected. Put them in the House of Commons, and let's do something about this. All right. Thank you so much for your time again, Matthew Kelway from the NDP. Thank you, guys. All right. So, uh, uh, Aaron, you're going to jump in. Uh, it's uh, another Gen Y song, but uh, yeah. we've lost our guests. Who are we going to listen to now? Uh, we're going to listen to, well, it's still Gen Y, but it's a song called Riddles. Awesome. Thank you right. so much. All right. We'll be right back here on The Green Majority. Change them, oh, to know the tune. Riddles of the world keep clouding up my afternoon. Riddles of the world keep clouding up my afternoon. I looked out one fine morning, water filled the through till my head was all there was left standing there all the colored lights that passed and flashed beneath my feet riddles of the world keep setting me up for defeat riddles of the world keep setting me Next 
hundred colors printed in a magazine. Riddles of the world keep sticking me right in between. Riddles of the world keep sticking me right in between. All right, we are back. We're into the final home stretch here on the Green Majority. You're listening to the Green Majority, possibly live on CIUT 89.5 FM. Possibly you're listening to us on one of our wonderful and very much appreciated community uh, syndicates all the way across the country. And uh, as well, you could be listening to us on uh, on iTunes. Uh, if that sounds appealing to you, you're in your car, but you don't always catch the show. There's an opportunity to uh, follow us. You can uh, do that on SoundCloud uh, or through iTunes or just uh, through the website. Uh, speaking of the website as well, we've added a few new things on there. We do uh, much more than just the radio show, as you may have heard me say previously. Uh, now there is a, a number of uh, climate cartoons uh, that uh, Stefan and uh, his brother Dave have been uh, uh, hard at work helping uh, me put together. Uh, they're little animated shorts that you can uh, view on the website, and we'd really appreciate if you went. Uh, uh, we'd love to hear some feedback about them. Uh, and uh, Dave did an exceptional job mm-hmm. as well with the as the artist on those. So check those out. Also, we now have an extended uh, uh, podcast sort of bonus show thing. The uh, doesn't that does not uh, ever make it to air. In fact, much of the things we say on there probably couldn't be aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're interested at all in hearing the sort of uh, extended version of the show as well, you can also check that out at greenmajority.ca. However, Stefan, you also have an announcement. Uh, yeah, just uh, in case you liked what the, uh, the our first guests were saying in the from Beyond Crisis film, or you just like the music you just heard, or you generally like folk music, or you just gen- are in the Toronto area and generally like a good time, or you just want to buy Stefan a beer, or you just want to buy me a beer, which is also a perfectly available option to do. Except that it cannot be it cannot be about the show because we don't accept donations. That's right. Uh, yes. So if you want to buy me a beer because you like me as a human being, not because I do the show. That's right. Uh, uh, there's a fundraiser that I'm I'm a part of uh, throwing next Thursday called Turns Up for what it's a pun it's a long conversation we'll ignore that <laughs> yeah if you don't know what that's a reference to just don't worry about it yeah it's not not worth it uh the point is that it's actually going to be on next thursday uh, tr- uh thursday april 30th at coalition lounge uh, i bet you we can throw on the facebook event on the on the page yes that will be on the post as well so come join us uh it's got gen y is playing another band called the fox and moon who are also awesome at playing we have a we have a eco rapper uh, Gaius, who actually has been on, the, I think, been on the show before, actually, about a year ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's going. Oh, we should have him back. I like yeah, him. he's great. He's going to lay. He's going to at least play a couple songs, but then there's going to be a bit of a dance party. So it'll be a great time next Thursday. Well, he uh, sold April me. 30th. I'm going to come. Amazing. April 30th, you say? Yes. Uh, uh, downtown Toronto. Yes. All right. So check the show post. We'll have all that information and more. You can find out where you can uh, access the bonus show, uh, the climate cartoons. Uh, Kevin's uh, blog has been uh, actually been getting quite a bit of traffic as well. So you can check out some of the writings. Uh, That's all me. Writings, aka Ram. Is it more writings or ramblings? What would you classify? Oh no, as? those are those aren't ramblings at all. Actually, that's that's uh, me being very to the point. Yeah, no, <laughs> ramblings. What I do on the show because I'm always tired. They're they're actually quite highly polished. If you if you if you if you find Kevin comment uh, Kevin's comments in general insightful, and we do get actually get a lot of feedback about people enjoying uh, your comments, Kevin. Um, it's just like that, only uh, much shorter because he's uh, prepared. He's he's edited his words down, so it's like just like his radio show comments, but in like a thousand less words. <laughs> Uh, with that, you now have the floor. You have a couple comments. We uh, we were talking off air there a little bit about uh, English Bay, of course, which was one of the big news items. Uh, we mentioned the budget this week. There's a whole bunch of news that's actually going on right now that we just didn't have time to cover today because we had two really great uh, guests lined up. We will be coming uh, covering some of it next week. But Kevin, you had a quick comment for this week about English Bay. Yeah. So I mean, of course, this, the spill in English Bay, uh, the the bunker fuel leak from actually a grain tanker. This was a grain tanker. Okay. 
Now, this is bad. This is very bad. But this is about three. This is three thousand liters of, <clears throat> excuse me, some astonishingly toxic material. I'm not going to say that's not bad. But in the scheme of spills, it's pretty trivial. Like relative to spills, that's a small spill. And yet, we did not. We were. Un, we could not mount an effective response to this. Instead, what we're getting instead of a world class cleanup, what we what we're getting is world class message control from James Moore, who's the industry minister, <clears throat> and he is out there now claiming. And he's been claiming this for a while, that 80% of this spill was cleaned up in relatively short order. And sometime after that, 95% of this spill was cleaned up. I just want everyone to fact check that. In my, I'm, I can't, I can't, I haven't researched this, but in my experience, having read about these things for about 20 years now. That's basically. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> if you are right on top of a spill with every available technology, you can get about 30% of it. Generally, people get about 20%. And this response was so bad, I'm guessing it's probably closer to 10. The the fine print was that those numbers they were putting out was uh, of the recoverable portion. So of oh, the 30%, right. they yeah. cleaned up nearly 95%. Okay. It's just like, uh, so, what's that Panther cologne? 50% of the time it works So then time. let me throw it to the punchline to this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Bunker fuel is about as bad as it gets, but that crap still floats. Dilbit doesn't float. And this was a leak from a grain tanker, not some oil tanker uh, 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 leak, you know, rupturing and leaking. That stuff sinks. And our oil recovery, our cleanup, cleanup, put that in quotes, because we, again, where does it go when we clean it up? It doesn't get conjured out of existence by pixies. So this, it gets out of the water for sure. But this cleanup, our cleanup strategies right now are about skimming stuff off the surface, not, you know, scooping it up off the bottom of 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 uh, you know uh, uh, off the floor of the o- the ocean uh so so if you compare this entire this this utter failure of a response to clean up the spill plus the world class uh message mani- or message control that uh, response is being tried today and you say now okay now put that relative to what you're risking with these super tankers coming in to pick up dilbit and uh, you know, shame on you james moore that, and and just shame on on the conservative party for this. And they're also claiming that the Kitts Bay Coast Guard station didn't even have the cleanup equipment that they needed. So closing that, yeah, base, it was cut the year before. <laughs> yeah, but they're saying, oh, it didn't matter. They couldn't have responded to this anyway. And that just seems to be an outright n- not conforming to the facts statement, <laughs> <laughs> an, an outright statement that does not conform to known facts. Uh, but there, there you go. Uh, you, you know, look at compare this to 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 what we're risking, and uh, and you know, and then look at maybe look read about the the spill in Kalamazoo where they discovered, oh yeah, we can't clean this stuff up stuff up from the riverbeds. It doesn't float. Yeah, and there was also a whole bunch. I mean, uh, I, you know, it's a photo is a photo, and, and and you can say what you will about it. I mean, on, on the extreme end, that could have been faked, and on the minor end, we don't know. We, a photo doesn't really tell you much. Uh, but there are still people that are sort of tweeting out and, and using a lot of Facebook groups and stuff who are who are in the English Bay area, uh, who are like, oh, it's cleaned up. Look, and then you know, holding up rocks that have oil all over. Oh, them. there's they a have hil- photos of the anchors. There's and a hilarious. And and, I'll send this link to you because there's a hilarious little uh, bit of. Uh, a video that some activists have, have posted. They what they did was they gathered up some sticks and stones and and carried it to a press conference that was being conducted by James Moore, uh, where you I mean you you can read that and and make of it what you will, but he wouldn't touch this stuff, and I don't blame him. It's very toxic. This material is very toxic. But James Moore is also a very thin-skinned politician, 
So I so so for he was taking even greater risks for for touching this toxic material because he has the thinnest skin of of, of pretty much any of the the, feder- the the conservative MPs. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to wrap it up uh, there. We're uh, running right up against the bare end of the program. We will certainly be coming back and dealing with some more of this this week because there's been uh, with the budget and the spill and everything else. There's there's even more stuff going on than usual. We're getting ramped up for our indecision 2015. <laughs> John's what? He's off the air now. I can steal his bits. He's still on the air. You have like you have at least like four months to go. In All my right. heart, he'll always be on the air. Yeah. <laughs> well, have a good green week, folks. We'll see everybody next week. Uh-huh.